Well, good morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity to come back and to be invited back. Being invited back to a place that I've been is not an experience I often have. And so I'm uh, delighted to uh, be here with you this morning. Our scripture reading for this morning in the New Testament is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And in honor of the one who has given this word, and in honor of that word, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way the people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God... Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for your word, which is sharp. It's like a two-edged sword that lays us open, lays our lives open, but lays open before us the glorious truth of Almighty God. We pray that that might have its effect on us today, Lord, as we turn to your word now. Come by your Spirit, open us to what you have to say to us this morning, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. In September of 1968, I was 17 years old, and I was a freshman in college in Boston. And I had a first experience that I will never forget. It was the first time I ever flew on an airplane. I boarded a flight on an airline that doesn't exist anymore, Northeast Airlines, on their what was called Yellow Bird Service between Boston's Logan Airport and LaGuardia Airport, New York. I was going home for just one day for my sister's graduation. 
My sister was a student at the New York Institute of Dietetics studying to be a dietitian. She was always a very big supporter of mine, and I wanted to support her by returning home to be there for her graduation. It was with great anticipation that I boarded the plane. We left the gate and we taxied to the runway. And I had an experience that I do not think I can possibly describe in words. For the next 38 minutes of that flight between Logan Airport and LaGuardia, I was absolutely petrified. I never experienced air flight before. So I didn't know what all the sounds were about. The retraction of the flaps, the coming up of the landing gear, the turning over from side to side, the fast takeoff, and then the slowing down to avoid the noise in the Boston area. And the crazy ups and the downs and the backs and the forths as we circled at LaGuardia Airport in New York. I wondered if I was going to survive that flight. And I wondered, based upon what I was hearing and what I was seeing and what I was feeling, if there was anybody up front flying the plane. And if they were, what in the world were they doing? I was thinking about this as I drove down here this morning. It was, in fact, 35 years ago to the day that today, 35 years ago, I preached a candidating sermon for the Beverly Heights Church, where ultimately I was called to be the senior pastor and was there for 33 years. At that time, in the old PCUSA, you needed to do a candidating sermon in what they called a neutral pulpit. And my neutral pulpit was in Union Presbyterian Church. Now, for those of you who might be familiar with driving down the Parkway West uh, from the city on the way to the airport, about halfway there, up on the right, way up on a hill, there's a church. And that's where I preached my candidating sermon. Thirty-five years ago today, on one of the hottest days in the history of Pittsburgh. I think the official temperature was about 250 degrees. And the humidity was just as high. And all of the windows in the church were open because they did not have the advantage that you enjoy, that I never enjoyed for 33 years at Beverly Heights, which was air conditioning. All the doors were open. I was preaching the sermon on which I would be judged as to whether or not I was right for the Beverly Heights Church. 
But every three or four minutes, there was this huge roar. And it was because there was an airplane flying down the parkway on its way to the airport. Every three or four minutes, I had to raise my voice louder so that the people could hear me. I was always wondering what in the world was going on in that plane. Well, over the years, I've come to understand a lot more about what's going on in the plane, and particularly what's going on up in the cockpit. You perhaps have seen pictures of a pilot in the cockpit, and on the yoke, the steering wheel, there's a little clip. And on that clip, there's a little piece of paper that's about five and a half inches wide and about eight and a half inches long. There's, that's called a briefing plate. There's one of those pieces of paper for every airport in the world that's controlled. That's one of the things that the pilot is carrying in his bag as you see him in the airport. It's a loose-leaf binder of all these briefing plates. And so when that plane is coming down the parkway, he has that briefing plate in front of him. And he has on that all the information he needs. That piece of paper is divided into six sections. The top section across the top is called the marginal view, the marginal data. It's not so marginal. It tells him the name of the airport, where he is and where it is located. Underneath it, there's what's called the, pro the pilot brief. And on the pilot brief are all of the important radio frequencies that he needs to know about to be able to communicate with the ground. The larger section is what's called the plan view. And it gives particular angles of approach. Now, when that plane is coming down the, the parkway, he's on approach to runway 32. There's also on there a small, very small diagram of the airport. And then there's what's called the profile view, which is if you were standing on the ground and looking at that plane coming in for a landing, you would see how far from the airport he is and how high he is. And then there's a very, very important section called the minimums section. And that indicates all the minimums of how low he can go, how high he can go, how far he can come to the airport and then declare a missed approach and have to go around. The pilot is very, very busy. Why? Because eight miles from the airport, he's been vectored onto what's called the final glide path because he's on the final approach, which is a combination of the distance he is from the airport and how high he is and how fast he's traveling. 
and all that has got to be calculated so that there can be a relatively comfortable landing for us. And what they've determined over the years is that's a three-degree angle. So based upon a relationship of how far you are from the airport, how high you are, and how fast you're traveling, a comfortable landing at Pittsburgh International Airport on runway 32 is going to be a three-degree angle. Now, this is not meant to be an aviation lecture this morning, so why all this talk about the final approach? Well, just this. The Apostle Peter told the church and tells us today that the church is on final approach. Just like that plane landing at runway 32 in Pittsburgh, seven and a half miles out from the edge of the runway, has to hit the glide path. That seven and a half mile section of the final glide path, the final approach that the church is on, is the resurrection of Jesus. Since the resurrection of Jesus, we have been on the final glide path until the landing of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about now a termination point. He's talking about a termination period. The church lives in a time when God's redemptive process is approaching consummation when Jesus comes again. We're living in that time that theologians refer to as the already here and the not yet. That is, the kingdom of God came when Jesus Christ came the first time. And his impact in changing our lives is that the kingdom of God now is living within us and in the church among us. But the kingdom of God has not come fully and will not come fully till Jesus comes again. And so we are in that final glide path. We don't know how many miles we are, how many days, how many years we are to final touchdown when Jesus comes again. But we do know that according to God's Word, we're in the final approach. And just like those pilots who have that briefing plate in front of them. And they have to listen on the radio and consider speed, altitude, wind, what runway they're landing on, other traffic around them. They're very, very busy in those last minutes of that flight, so also we, the church, are very busy. In fact, God's Word gives us a checklist of things that we need to be considered, and we need to be considering on this final approach. Remember I read the Apostle Peter saying, the end of all things 
is here. And the end of all things is the basis for a four-point final approach checklist that fleshes out the church as those living in the kingdom of of our Lord and of His Christ. And it separates us from those who are living in accord with the kingdom of this world. So it's a very busy time. It's not a matter of sitting around and waiting. People in the first century church, particularly those in the church in Thessalonica, they thought Jesus was coming right away. So they decided, well, I'm just going to sit around and I'll wait. Every day I'll go outside and I'll look around and see if I see Jesus coming. And so they weren't working. And the Apostle Paul has to write First Thessalonians, and he says to them, listen, Jesus is coming, but we've got work to do. In fact, those who will not work should not eat. So it's a busy time. What do we need to be involved in as we're on this final approach? Well, the Apostle Peter identifies four things that are a part of our checklist. Pray, love, show hospitality, and serve one another. That's what we read this morning. Pray, love, show hospitality, and serve one another. And I want to underscore those for you this morning. First of all, pray. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Really, that means as you pray, be self-controlled and sober-minded. These two different terms that express one single thought. In other words, be in control of your thoughts as you pray. In other words, we must be reflective on the times in which we live on the issues that we face as the church lives in a challenging and and hostile world. That's what we're about as we're on the final approach. Praying. Being aware of what's happening in the world around us. And as you consider what's going on in the world around us, how important it is that we are sober-minded and self-controlled as we really think about these things. And as we think and pray about how we can take what it is we say we believe and how we're going to live our lives in accord with that. And so we must pray for wisdom. Pray for insight. Pray for guidance. Pray for courage. Pray for people and pray for situations for the glory of God to be revealed in how the church lives in these days. It's not like we're on some slip and slide and we just keep sliding along until Jesus comes again. This is serious business. Peter tells the church. Now remember from last week, 
Peter is speaking to individuals who are undergoing intense persecution and growing persecution. And he says to them, be encouraged. We're on the final glide path. This is the final approach, but there's still a lot to be done. You've got to be busy. And one of the things you need to be busy about is prayer. Second of all, what we need to be concerned about is love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Earnest love persists during times that are challenging and difficult. In the days in which we live, we need to be persistent, persistent in our love for one another. It is so easy not to be. In my congregation in Pittsburgh, I've recognized how easy it is, particularly with people's varying views about how to handle the COVID situation. For people to have differing opinions, and those differing opinions lead oftentimes to arguments and arguments lead to, lead to people being separated from one another, which is just the opposite direction in which Christ died in order that we might come together. And so in the final approach, in these latter days, one of the things that we need to be busy about is loving one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? That's probably a reference to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What kind of love is this? Love that covers a multitude of sins is sacrificing for the sake of another's thriving through the absence of strife and division. That's what love is. I performed a wedding yesterday. And I spoke to the couple before the congregation. And I said to them, do we know what love is? Some say, oh, well, you know, you can't define love. I maybe know it when I see it or when I feel it, but you can't define love. That's baloney. Of course we can define love. Love is me sacrificing myself so that the object of my love might thrive. That's what we learn from the love of God for us. What did he do? He sacrificed himself. He sacrificed his only son, Jesus Christ, so that in sacrificing him, I might have the fullness of life. And so in these difficult and these challenging days in which we live on the final approach, we need to love one another with a love that covers a multitude of sins that keeps us from division and strife. It is a love that endures through everything and is long-suffering to the last. This is a love that is relentless, in refusing disagreements and slights 
and wrongs to destroy the unity of the church. If there is anything that a pilot wants to do on final approach, he wants to, what we might say, keep it all together. In fact, there are rules in in commercial aviation in the cockpit that under a particular altitude, there is to be no conversation in the cockpit that does not involve the particulars of landing the airplane. There can be no distractions whatsoever. It is a love that says at all cost we will stand together. We will hold together. We will work together and not allow the evil one any opportunity to destroy what Christ has died in order to provide us. Which is unity. When the church is on final approach as we are, it's very busy. There's a lot to do. We need to stay focused. And so then thirdly, we need to show hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, says verse 9. What is showing hospitality? Quite simply, it involves meeting needs. It means being available to one another. That's really the, the, the Bible's understanding of hospitality. It's being available to one another. Now, what a challenge that is, particularly in our day of the final approach. Meeting needs, showing hospitality while being socially distanced and not coming together. This is the particularly challenging aspects of our final approach. It's a bumpy approach to final landing. But we've got to remember that our brothers and our sisters in Christ each have personal struggles. The person with whom you are sharing a pew or sharing this room this morning has personal struggles and challenges as they live in the hostility and the difficulties of the kingdom of the world being part, not of the kingdom of the world, but the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And so at this time, when we're being challenged to step back, we need to figure out ways that we can step in, seek out, support, and uphold one another. This is the job of the church in the final approach. We need to pray, and we need to love, and we need to show hospitality. And we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to frame our attitude so that we think of such care not as a burden, but as a privilege. As what we do as the body of Christ. It's not something to be grumbled over. But it's a joy by which we become the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ to someone else. Pray, love, show hospitality, and finally, serve one another. As each has received a gift 
Verse 10 says, Use it to serve one another. Now this is probably a reference to the broad range of gifts and talents and abilities and resources with which God is pleased to grace His children. What talent, what gift, what ability that God has given to you can you employ in final approach? The pilot, he is monitoring all of his dials. The first officer is monitoring the radio. The attendants out in the cabin are scurrying around. Everybody has their job to do on final approach. They are particularly gifted and trained to do that job. So also for the Church of Jesus Christ on final approach. What we have by way of gifts and talents and abilities and resources, we have because of God's grace. He had it and has it. He gives it to us and we give it to others. That's the way he's wired the church up to work. And so we are to teach and we are to speak to each other as if we're speaking the very words of God. We are to counsel one another and encourage one another with godly wisdom. We are to give to each other with divine generosity even as God's generosity has overflowed to us. We serve our brothers and sisters in Christ with the strength with which we are provided from above. This is how the church makes its way on final approach in a hostile world as those living in the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ in a world that is the kingdom of our world. All of which then leads to the final doxology in order that, verse 11 says, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And really, that's our takeaway for today. The gold standard of everything we do on final approach is the answer to this question. Does this bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. On Christmas Day, 1983, I was a pastor in Seminole, Oklahoma. My wife and I invited a number of friends to the house for Christmas evening dinner. And one of those individuals was a pilot, formerly flew for Frontiers Airlines and left that company and became a, uh, a private pilot for an oil uh, field company. And they had just taken delivery a number of weeks earlier 
on a beautiful new uh, twin-engine Beechcraft King Air. And after dinner, Jim, who's the pilot, said, Hey, Rick, the boss asked me to go up and burn some gas tomorrow to uh, just become more and more familiar with the airplane. Would you like to go with me? I did not have enough time to think back to that first flight. And so my knee-jerk reaction was, sure. And so on the day after Christmas, we went out to our little airfield that was not controlled. It was a strip of pavement in the woods. And we got in this brand new aircraft. I went to get into the passenger seat in the back. I think it held eight passengers. Jim said, no, come on up and sit with me. Sit up in the co-pilot's seat. And I sat down and with trepidation I strapped myself in and I, I put some earphones on. And we ran down the runway and off we took. And he said to me, did you see, see anything different? I said, uh, no. I didn't. Well, he said, one of the things I'm practicing is losing an engine, which is what he's able to do by, uh, by adjusting the pitch on one of the propellers. We flew around for about an hour. We made a final approach to Will Rogers International Airport, which is the airport in Oklahoma City, and we flew back. And that was a life-changing flight for me. Because for every sound that I heard, there was something that Jim was doing with the engines. For everything that I felt, there was something he was doing with the yoke. And I saw this guy who and otherwise was a goofy kind of a guy. He was transformed when he was behind the controls of that airplane. And from that day on, my thinking and my experience of flying was completely different. Why? Because I knew who was flying the plane. And friends, that's the way the church is on final approach. It's bumpy. Sometimes the descent is a little bit steeper than 3% until we get fixed on the final approach. And sometimes there's a lot of shear and we're bouncing back and forth. But friends, up front, we know who's flying the plane. And it's our job to do our part during final approach. Because he's doing his. Until that time when Jesus comes again. May God help us to be that kind of a church. So now let us pray. We thank you, dear Lord, 
that you are at the controls, that you are in control, and that this indeed is your world. So help us, each one of us, to know how we can do our part of the final approach. To pray, to love, to show hospitality, to serve one another. While you bring us to a safe landing when Jesus comes again. All for your praise, for your honor, and for your glory we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.